coming up next on Contemplate. So remember, I had a couple questions I wanted you to ask yourself as we go through these series. And the first one was, is it true? Is the story actually true? Are the things that we're studying and talking about, are they actually true? And if the answer to that is yes, then what does that mean for your life? What ought you to do? That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. And this is another Contemplate episode. So what is truth? Could there be things that are true whether you believe them or not? Let's find out. Here's Pastor David. We don't always keep our priorities straight. Uh, And when we don't keep our priorities straight, bad things happen. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So um, we're in a series called Spirituality or Ismology, the true story of everything. Now, we're talking about the big story, the story of everything. We all have a worldview. We've talked about this before, a way of seeing the world and making sense of our existence. We all have beliefs about what's right and what's wrong, what's justice, what's peace, uh, what's life about, uh, how was the world created, is there a God, who's in charge, all these types of things. We have some sort of answer to those questions. Whether we're a follower of Christ or not, everyone has some sort of answer to those questions, and those answers to those questions help define how they view the world. Many of us uh, wonder why there's so much pain and suffering and why we seem to have desires that nothing in this world seems to match or seems to be able to satisfy. A wise man said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. So are we made for another world? Last week we talked about the beginning. And we talked about the creation of the universe, the earth, and the plants, and the animals, and finally humans, and we read that God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. But that's not our experience. We see all kinds of stuff that isn't good at all. And so we wonder, what's the disconnect? Why? Why, if it's true, if what I said last week is true, that God made it and it was very good, why, when we look at it, do we see quite clearly that it's not very good? Um, We're going to talk about why that is, why so many bad things happen. Uh, This is message two, chapter two, entitled The Betrayal. So I want to start with this. We as followers of Jesus of Nazareth uh, see the world in a different way than a lot of people uh, in our culture see it. Uh, Many people see facts and ideas as occupying two different spheres of reality, okay? Two different spheres. The first sphere is the objective sphere, okay? Uh, This is the sphere of facts. Sphere includes things which can be proved, okay? Uh, Things that you use math and reason and logic and you can come to a determination and say, okay, we know this thing is true. That's the objective sphere. Uh, and so we put in things like science and government and education, business, medicine, law. All of these things go in the objective sphere for most people. Uh, the idea is that these facts can be known by everyone, uh, that they're true, whether you believe them or not. 
That's pretty much the definition of an objective fact. It's true whether or not you believe it. Okay? Um, things like, I have a ring on. It's so many degrees in Fahrenheit in Portland today. Or, for any system close to all transfers of matter and energy, the mass of the system must remain constant over time, as system mass cannot change quantity if it is not added or removed, right? Okay, so all these things are objective facts. I don't know if that's true or not. I found that on the internet. Um, stuff like that, though, right? Uh, it's simple just to think about facts rather than something else, right? Facts. So the other sphere is called the subjective sphere. This is a sphere where you have your private ideas, okay? Some would say your personal truths, things that are true to you. Uh, they may not be true for anybody else, but no one can tell you that you're wrong because you believe them. Many people think that things like, say, your tastes in food should go here. I have some friends um, back in Tennessee, very close friends of ours, that have some very specific tastes in food, and it's a little bit embarrassing to go to a restaurant with them uh, because they and their kids, they all have like these very specific things they want to order. Uh, yes, can I have the pepperoni pizza with no cheese and extra sauce? And my wife will have the pepperoni pizza with no sauce and extra cheese and three pepperonis per slice. And the kids will have no cheese and no sauce, but bring the sauce extra on the side so they can dip it in there. Okay, this is, I'm, this is, okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much. That's how these people are. I'm sitting there looking at the waiter going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Right? Because it's embarrassing, right? And you know who you are if you're watching the video. Um, just order from the menu like the rest of us, okay? Uh, but nevertheless, people think that taste in food is subjective, right? I can't tell you that you actually like liver and onions if you don't. You either like it or you don't. It's a subjective thing. It's according to your own taste buds, right? The, only, the things that you think taste and smell good and things like that. And people uh, think the same thing about, say, taste in movies or in, in music or hobbies. Uh, you like what you like. You like what you like. No one can tell you that you don't like what you like or that you like what you don't like. Now, there are some who would say that when it comes to things like art, there are some things which are objectively beautiful, and if you don't recognize that, that that's an issue, but that's a whole other philosophical thing that maybe we'll get into someday. I actually love talking about that. Ask me about that later. But in any case, most people say those are subjective things, okay? Um, they put these things in the subjective sphere, but the other thing that they put in the subjective sphere, a lot of people in our culture, are religion and morality. Religion and morality, okay? That's in the subjective sphere. So stay with me here. Those of us who are followers of Christ, this is important to the big story, those of us who are followers of Christ do not make this distinction. We do not view reality in this way. This way of viewing the world is sometimes called a two-story view of truth. So like a house with an upstairs and a downstairs. Objective truth goes downstairs, Subjective truth goes upstairs, um, and we should have a slide for that. I have simplified the issue by naming the first floor science and the second floor religion. So here are the rules for a lot of people and their worldview. A person can discuss science and make claims that are either true or false, but when it comes to religion and morality, those things are personal. Those things are personal. This is also called the fact-value dichotomy. The fact-value dichotomy. I've even seen recently in the last, uh, I'd say a few months really, where I've really seen this come up, where there are examples of people who don't even like the word belief. The word belief itself. Apparently, um, people think that because people believe in God and religion, 
And those things in their mind aren't facts or science, that there's something wrong with the word belief itself. But here's what the word belief means. An acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. So if I say water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, and you accept that statement is true, you believe it. It's not complicated. The word does not have any meaning beyond that thing. Yet, because we also describe the statement, there is a God, if we accept that as belief, people are so uh, repulsed by that that they literally want to change the word belief to only refer to those things on the upper floor. And the things on the lower floor, they, they don't want to use that word for. They don't believe that thing, right? Um, this is wrongheaded. This is, this is a, a mistake because uh, people have tried to divide truth in this way, and when they do it, it starts to lead to uh, irrational thoughts, irrational statements. Uh, there's a meme that I found about this thing on belief. It says, I don't believe in science. I trust science. Science works whether I believe in it or not. So this person doesn't want to use the word believe for science. We've told you what the word believe means, right? So obviously he does or she, I don't know who made this, does believe in science, right? Um, all this meme is really saying is that objective facts are true, whether you believe them or not, which we all know. But if you replace the word science with God, I don't believe in God, I trust God, God works whether I believe in him or not, isn't that true also? He either exists or he doesn't exist. What you believe about him is irrelevant. Now, it's relevant to your spiritual life and to your eternal destiny, but it's irrelevant to whether he's true or not. I cannot make God exist or make him not exist by choosing to believe in him or not, okay? He does not disappear when I stop believing in him or appear when I do, any more than I can make Mount Hood stop to exist because I don't believe in it, okay? I'm going to try. I'll go look later and see if it's still there, but my guess is it will still be there because objective facts are objective facts. They're either true or false. They're either true or false, and we try to separate those things. It does not work. It doesn't work. So in the true story of everything, as we walk through this, you have to understand that we do not break truth into two stories like that. We believe that things like religion and morality are objective, which, which just means this. They're either true or they're false. They're either true or they're false, okay? But they're true or false whether or not we believe in them. They do not belong in some other thing where if you believe in them, they're true for you, okay? There's either a God or there's not a God. It's either right to murder or it's wrong to murder. These things are true regardless of whether you want to believe them or not. And I think that we all know that instinctively. Nevertheless, we've tried to make this unholy divide, between things like what we want to call science and things like what we want to call religion or facts versus values. Facts versus values, okay? Um, but here's the thing. You don't get to, and I'm talking to society in general here, you don't get to elevate your beliefs by simply calling them objective or scientific and reject other beliefs by simply labeling them religious or values, that's not how it works. You prove your beliefs with facts and reason just like we have to. You cannot get out of having to deal with facts about God by simply creating false categories of facts and values. Okay? Can't do it. Now, so I expect to be held to the same standard. In other words, if it is not reasonable to believe that there's a God or it's not reasonable to believe the things that we talk about in the big story, fair enough. And I, and I will make my case on that basis. 
But the idea that one is a personal truth and the other is not, no way. No way, that's not Christianity. It never has been. We're saying we think this is true, and it's true for you too, whether you accept it or not, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. So remember, I had a couple questions I wanted you to ask yourself as we go through these series. And the first one was, is it true? Is the story actually true? Are the things that we're studying and talking about, are they actually true? And if the answer to that is yes, then what does that mean for your life? What ought you to do? I want you to be thinking about the connection between belief and action. Belief and action. If it's not true, then what does that mean you should do? If it is true, then what does that mean you should do? But one way or the other, your belief should drive your actions. So if you say it is true, but you don't make certain decisions about following God and serving him, you've got a problem. You've got a disconnect between your belief and your action. And this happens all the time. We know it's not good to do something. We do it anyway, right? So the question we've got to ask ourselves here is what ought we to be doing? And this series, as I've told you before, this is for everyone. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, this, is, this should be something that everyone can, can kind of work with and think about. All right. So, we left off last week with a perfect world. A perfect world, a peaceful world, right? Uh, a, good, a good word to describe the state of affairs that existed at the time that we left off last time after God had created the world, Adam and Eve, animals, all the rest of this is the word shalom. It's a Hebrew word, and we usually think of shalom as meaning peace. But actually, the word shalom is much more complicated than that. It means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. Shalom comes from the root verb shalom, meaning to be complete, perfect, and full. That's according to Strong's Concordance. That's, that's a mouthful by saying one relatively short word. But that is the state of affairs that we have when creation happens and God creates Adam and Eve and all the animals and all the plants in this earth. We're in this state of shalom. He wanted humans to care for his creation that he had created. And he created humans for relationship with him. And he created humans for relationship with one another. We talked about that last week. That's kind of where we left. Something that we have to understand about God here at this point is that God is holy. And that's not a word that we use a lot except in a two-word phrase that you probably shouldn't be using. But the word holy, think about that one for a minute. You'll get it. Um, Just put that in your pocket. Take it out later. Um, Holiness is perfection. Okay? God is perfect. God is perfect. Okay? In every way, including morally perfect. It is impossible for God to do evil. Impossible, because God's nature is perfectly good. But God, because of that, can only be in true communion or community or relationship with those who are also perfect, those who are also holy. In other words, you must be perfectly good to be in true community and relationship with God. Must be perfectly good. Now, in the beginning, we saw that God created the world and humans, and we have already seen that he created them Good, right? In Genesis 1.31 we read, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. He made Adam and Eve good, so they could be in relationship with him. Remember we said, he created them to be in relationship with him. He gave them everything they needed to have shalom. 
to have shalom, completeness, and relationship with him. In fact, we read there, there was only one rule that we know of at this point that God had given to them. This is in Genesis 2, starting at verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Only one command. We don't know of anything else that God told humans not to do. Here's the thing. They were made good so that their desire was for what was good. He didn't have to tell them a bunch of stuff. He had this one thing, one thing for them. And there's a whole lot that I could say about that, but we got to stick with kind of the big story here. So another time we'll talk about all the significance of what that rule was there for. But we do know that he gave them this rule. And then we get to the third chapter of Genesis, and we'll start reading at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made, co- made, coverings, made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. That's right. It's her fault. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So there is so much going on in this passage, and we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on the theology of all that's going on there, but that's not what this series is about. I want to give you the big picture, right, the big story of everything. And so what we need to understand about this part of the story here is that Adam and Eve, who had been made perfectly, chose to disobey the command of a holy, loving God in whom they had relationship. They had relationship with him, but they chose to betray him. And their act of betrayal had major consequences. So what were those consequences? We'll find out in our next episode, and I hope you'll join us. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. And if you'd like to have more of this kind of practical Bible truth in your own life, let me invite you to come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get directions and all the info you need anytime at axechurchnw.org or call 360 885 
9000. Hope to meet you this Sunday. Thanks again for listening and be sure and check out the next episode here on Contemplate.